Hello there and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It is um, Thursday and um, we normally do kind of weird and strange shows on Thursday. This is a series. We are up to episode five of the show I Love a Mystery, The Things, the Thing That Cried in the Night. The original title of this was Hollywood Cherry, which was a lousy title in my opinion, but Thing That Cried in the Night at least uh, gets your attention a little bit more. Um, we have all kinds of odd happenings in the Martin household. There's three sisters and a mother and a dead chauffeur and babies crying and people being pushed downstairs. And if you haven't heard the first few episodes of this before you listen to this, go back and listen to the, the earlier ones or you're going to be a little bit lost, but you can still pick it up and, and roll through it. I don't have a whole lot to say about this show because I don't know a whole lot about it. There are not a lot of existing episodes, um, and some of the ones that are existing are only partial episodes. I do consider it one of the greatest uh, mystery-type shows of all time, and if you were a teenage boy back in the 40s and early 50s, you most likely would listen to this and um, could really uh, follow along and identify with the characters and all of that. The problem is now, 60, 70, 80, however many years later we are here, not a whole lot of these exist. Carlton E. Morse, who wrote the show, also wrote a afternoon soap opera called One Man's Family that was on for quite a while as well. And there are lots of those that exist. So for some reason, people saved those and didn't save these. Not quite sure why. They were transcribed. We know that. And in fact, if you listen to any one of these, they'll say during the opening, transcribed, or at the end, brought to you transcribed, which means they put them on 16-inch transcriptions and they sent them out to various mutual radio network um, stations for broadcast at a more convenient time, so to speak. The network carried them around 7.45 in the evening, just before prime time, but a lot of uh, local stations didn't want to carry them at that time, and because they had transcription discs, they had the option to run them either earlier or later in the day. So where are those transcription discs? Why is it that one of the greatest series of all time doesn't have a lot of representative episodes. Well, I guess no one cared uh, to save them, or if they did, they're hidden away somewhere. Some private collector may have them, though at this late date, I doubt it. There were rumors for a long time that there were some that were donated to Grinnell University in Iowa. I haven't personally called Grinnell University in Iowa, but I guess somebody could do that and see if they know where they are. They could be in a closet, they could be in a classroom, they could be in a basement somewhere, or they could not even be there at all. We don't really know. It's just rumors and crazy stuff goes on and sometimes things pop up out of nowhere and sometimes they never pop up. So we shall see. And I guess I can talk more about that later, but uh, in the meantime, uh, the, just be aware that this is one of the great missing radio shows of all time, and if you are following this and like it, you'll see why I say that. So we have the episode today from November 4th and November 7th. It was on five days a week, Monday through Friday. So the first episode you will hear is the November 4th the Friday episode, and then the following one, which we will go right into without a break, is from Monday, November 7th, 1949. That is 
about all the introduction I can give you for now. So let's get into the show and you can hear more of the crazy stuff that's happening and let Carlton E. Morse hook you in and bring you into his story. Here we go. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love a Mystery, Transcribed. People are so dead when they're dead, aren't they? Not a very suitable sentiment for the occasion. No, no, don't touch anything. <laughs> hey, always the Bulgarian Martin, they call. What are you doing? I'm trying to discover if there are any clues in the vicinity of this corpse that might implicate any member of the Martin family. You want to implicate one of us? No, but I want to know what we're up against before the police arrive. Why not the Marines and the Navy? The police have to be called, you know that. Why? You can't ask sensible questions, don't ask any. Whoever shot this man must have used a silencer. Otherwise, we'd have heard the shot. Mm, a good-natured drunk has a gun with a silencer. Your brother, Joe? Mm-hmm. And I still want to know why we have to call the police. Murder's the policeman's business. Not this murder. This is the Martin family's own private little bloodletting party. You think someone in this house committed the crime? Naturally. Who? First, tell me where you sent your two friends. Doc and Reggie? Mm-hmm. Ten minutes after we find the corpse with the curly hair here, they go kiting out of the house like men on a mission. The question is, where? Why? They're out scouring the nightclubs and drinking places for your brother. <laughs> Job isn't worth it. Worth what? The trouble you're taking to find him. I want to know where he is and what he's been doing tonight. I want witnesses who will swear that he hasn't been near this house all evening. Why? So that we'd be all set for the police when they start asking questions. When are the police going to start asking questions? As soon as they get here. When will they be here? As soon as I call them. And when are you going to call them? When I'm satisfied. I know as much about this situation here as they'll be able to find out. Aren't you obstructing justice or something? I mean, waiting about notifying them? Maybe. Now then, why do you think this man was killed by someone in the house? Because almost everyone in the house had a reason. Everyone had a reason to want to kill the chauffeur? Was he that important to this household? I hope to tell you. Bob the chauffeur, now Bob the corpse, was putting the screws on the Martins. In what way? Well, let's start at the top of the list and work down. First, Grandma. Blackmail to hush scandal concerning Job and Hope. What sort of scandal? Job and a girl. Job hates girls, so I know it was a frame, but it was good enough to make headlines in the paper. Well, what about Hope? Hope can't let chauffeurs alone. Hope, the family wench, was so deeply involved with our new cadaver here that one word from him and the whole world would know what she is. By the way, right this minute, Hope is upstairs asleep in my room. <laughs> oh, a gentleman wouldn't. <laughs> now, don't be a fool. We left her in our room and we heard you scream and rush downstairs. Went up a few minutes ago, she'd crawled into my bed and was fast asleep. Maybe you'd like to explain to her elder sister what she was doing in your room in the first place. She knocked on the door. I opened it and there she stood in a wisp of lace and a pair of black silk stockings. You... You mean the dress this... this thing was holding in its hands when I found it down here was the dress Hope had been wearing this evening? That's right. Well, that's pretty raw. Oh, not as bad as it sounds. They were out together. Wherever they were, a man was killed and blood got on Hope's dress. When she got home, she gave the dress to the chauffeur to ditch. Oh? Well, then... Then he must have been killed as he was going out the front door with a dress. Exactly. From the outside. 
Yes, he was shot from outside the house. Then that eliminates Hope. Why? As flagrant as Hope is, she wouldn't be running about the streets with no dress on. And uh, you said our hero had the dress in his hands when he was killed. That's a pretty thin alibi. She didn't mind coming up and rapping on my door. Besides, she was floating about on pink clouds. Oh, you're crazy. I don't think so. I tell you, you are. Hope hates alcohol. It makes her violently ill. I didn't say she was drunk. She wasn't. No sign of alcohol. But something had given her a fine case of the blind staggers. Something screwy. You... You think Hope did this, then? I know she didn't. She was in my room for about 20 minutes, and uh, whatchamacallit here hadn't been dead five minutes when we got down to him. Then Hope's in the clear? Yes. Wish I could say as much about the rest of the family. You haven't anything on me. I haven't. But the police may have, or can they get it? What do you mean? Simply, if you've got anything up your sleeve, you'd better spill it, so I'll be standing by to give a hand. The police are going to find out everything you wish they wouldn't. So you tell me first, so I can be ready for them. What have you got to gain by all this Boy Scout stuff? I told your grandmother we'd help her out of a mess. This, apparently, is the mess she meant, so talk fast. Well, if I was the murdering kind, Curry Locks here would be my first victim. Why? He talks. And he talks lies. It came to my ears that he had passed the word around among the servants of the neighborhood that the Martin women were pushovers. Is that excuse for murder? Servants don't talk about me like that. Not even if it were true, they don't. But you fire servants, not murder them. Not if the servant has a death hold on the family and you can't get loose. You're referring to his hold on Job and Hope? Uh-huh. He had nothing on you personally? No. Uh-huh. Now then, where were you during the time of the murder? <laughs> I don't know when the murder was. All right, all right. Where were you 15 or 20 minutes before you found the body? I was down in the furnace room. At this time of night? Mm-hmm. Why? Burning some personal letters. Go on. That's all. Just burning some personal letters. You think you can tell the police you were down in the basement at 9 o'clock at night burning personal letters and stop there? If that's all there is. Oh, you're smarter than that. What did those letters have to do with the chauffeur and his sudden demise? But Why, Nothing. You're not making a very good representation for yourself. I'm not trying to. I'm just telling the truth. But not all the truth. Enough. Very well. You were down burning letters. Then what? I was just coming back up to the main floor when I... when I heard a baby laughing and cooing. Oh, you heard the baby. Yes, what does it mean? Your sister Cherry says every time the baby is heard in this house, tragedy occurs. She certainly hit it on the nose this time. Yes, didn't she? By the way, doesn't it seem a little strange to you that with your screaming when you found the body and all the running about the house that's been done since then, your grandmother and Cherry haven't been aroused? Grandmother and Cherry's rooms are on the third floor. They couldn't hear? No. Well, don't you think your grandmother ought to be told before I call the police? I don't know. I think she shouldn't. Why? Well, after all, she's head of this house. She should have some say as to what the police are told. There's going to be an awful scene when she finds out. Nevertheless... Now, look, I'm almost finished here. Go up and get her and bring her down. Also, while you're up there, get Hope out of my room and take her to her room. But you haven't asked me about Cherry yet. Well, what about Cherry? I, I mean, whether she might have a reason for, for killing the family leech. Well, has she? No. Great. Now, will you go? And Job. I know all about Job I need to know for now. Oh, wait, there is one thing about Job. You say he has a gun with a silencer? Mm-hmm. You know where he keeps it? Yes, in his bureau drawer. Well, while you're upstairs, look and see if it's there. Yes, if, if you think that... I don't think anything. Now, go on. There's something I've got to do, and I don't want you here when I do it. You, you mean Hope's dress? Never mind. What? What are you going to do with it? 
I didn't say I was going to do anything with him. But you are. Well, what you don't know, you can't tell. Now go do the things I've told you to. All right, but hurry. Grandma will be down here two steps at a time the minute she hears. Oh, the furnace is a swell place for Hope's dress. I think they call it destruction of evidence. Sorry, old boy, but I need this dress more than you do. Didn't I tell you? Oh, it's you. I'm Jerry. Don't you remember me? Why aren't you in bed? They're in my room. Who's in your room? They. Look what they did to me. What do you mean? On my shoulder. Right through my pajamas. You're bleeding. I know it. You mean someone came in your room and slashed you? Yes. Here, let me see. Uh Exactly like the cut on your arm. Sometime they'll get tired of frightening me. And then they'll kill me. Didn't I tell you? Didn't you tell me what? That every time the baby cries, something dreadful happens. The baby didn't cry. It laughed. I know. That's because one of our enemies was killed. What do you mean? When it's an enemy, the baby laughs. When one of us is in danger, he cries. You're getting just a little wacky on the subject of babies, aren't you? No, it's true. You wait and see. Now, look, Jerry, you go to my room and wait for me. I'm busy. As soon as I've finished, I'll come up and put a dressing on that cut. I hope the baby doesn't cry anymore tonight. I can't sleep when he cries. If you don't get... Wait, wait a minute. Someone's out on the porch. Why don't you close the door? The body's right in the door. Can't move it until the police come. Hold it. Um, pardon me? <laughs> my air. I thought this is where I live. It's Job. Inexcusable. Man must be pretty spiffocated when he walks in the morning and thinks he's home. This is your home, Job. It is? Yes. Oh. What's this cadaver doing blocking up my doorway? He was just killed there. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was a corpse trying to escape from the morgue. Shall I step over? If you want to come in, I'm afraid you'll have to. Here, give me a hand. I'll help you over. Oh. Nice and friendly. <laughs> I think I'm going to like you. There you are. Easy step. <laughs> I'm a very wide man. By the way, who are you? Name's Jack Packard. Are you by any chance the murderer? I'm afraid not. <laughs> well, that's good. Nice chap. Hanging's too good for you. Much too good. You think so, huh? Well, I'm afraid I put it badly. But you know what I mean. <laughs> oh. Hello, Jerry. Hello. Friend of yours? No. Oh, thought maybe he was. Pajamas are such awfully bad taste in the company of a strange man. I'm scared. Poor little terrified mouse. By the way, would it be breach of etiquette for me to ask the name of the visiting corpse? He's your chauffeur. Ah, Bob the Bandit. You seem pleased. Oh, frightfully. Who had the good sense to do it? We thought maybe it was you. That's a tribute. Great tribute. Should have. I never got around to it. A gun with a silencer was used. Consider it murder. No noise. Don't disturb the neighbors. I understand you have such a gun. <laughs> oh, so I have. So I have. Where is it now? Upstairs in my bureau drawer. I hope you're telling the truth, Job. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I am, too. <laughs>
further transcribed adventures of Jack, Doc, and Reggie will come to you tomorrow at this same hour. I Love a Mystery, written and directed by Carlton E. Morse, comes to you Monday through Friday, featuring Russell Thorson as Jack, Jim Bowles as Doc Long, and Tony Randall as Reggie York. Frank McCarthy speaking. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents I Love a Mystery, transcribed. a few lights, Mrs. Martin. Nobody calls me Mrs. I don't like it. What then? If Randolph Martin isn't good enough for you, call me grandmother. Everyone else does. Very well. Grandmother Randolph, let's have some lights. Why? Unhealthy ideas grow in darkness. Unhealthy ideas? Murder's an unhealthy idea. What are you talking about? Murder's not in this house. You should know better than that. You saw one of its victims carried out of here last night. You, with the rest of your family, spent most of the night explaining your whereabouts to the police. Such a fuss over a chauffeur. Not a very good chauffeur at that. I won't argue that. Furthermore, the police had their gall suspecting that anyone in this house had anything to do with it. On the other hand, it's surprising to me they didn't take the whole family down and lock you up. What are you saying? Mrs. Ma... Grandmother Randolph, you brought my two companions and me here to get your grandchildren out of some kind of a mess. Isn't that true? Yes. You haven't given us the first inkling of what that mess is. If I knew, do you think I'd call for outside help? Well, it should be plain even to you that the murder of the family chauffeur is part of that mess. Nonsense. The police themselves said that he wasn't really a chauffeur, but a member of a confidence ring working here in the motion picture colony. Nevertheless, he was killed in your house while in your employ. By members of a rival gang. Do you know what your chauffeur was doing last night before he came home and got himself shot? No. Yes, you do. If you know that, why do you ask me? You know that he was out with your granddaughter, Hope, and that he was killed less than ten minutes after Hope said goodnight to him when they returned. The police don't know that. No. Neither do they know that your chauffeur killed a man in a drinking joint out at the beach last night. What's that? That he killed the man in the presence of Hope, and that the man fell across their table and bled on Hope's dress. That she gave the dress to the chauffeur to get rid of, and that he still had the dress in his hand when he was shot dead in your front door. How, how do you know this, if the police don't? I've had Doc and Reggie out investigating all night. They just got in half an hour ago. They're up getting some sleep now. But, but why don't the police know? Because the resort where your chauffeur killed his man was a hideout spot for shady characters. Now, don't worry. They'll find out in due time. My granddaughter, Hope, was in a hideout for criminals? Yes. I want to ask her about that myself. Who, who was the man he killed? Now, you can read all about that in the paper. Some gambler. They found his body in one of the canyons out on the way up to Malibu Beach. And and shortly after he killed this gambler at this place, my chauffeur himself was killed in my doorway. That's right. 
Then doesn't that prove it was somebody outside, someone revenging himself on the death of the gambler? There's that possibility, of course. You seem very anxious to connect this murder with my family, Mr. Packard. No, I hope you're right. But there are too many suspicious things going on in this house. The center of all the trouble is right here. I'm sure of that. I've noticed nothing suspicious. That's not true. You just got through saying the reason you brought Doc and Reggie and me here was because you were uneasy. What have you noticed? Well, first, your eldest granddaughter, Faye. She talks loud and vulgar and pretends to be vastly amused. But she's frightened. Faye, frightened? Last night, she took some private papers down to the basement and burned them. Why? I don't know. Neither do I, but I intend to find out. Then Hope. Why did she go to that beach resort last night? Why did she pretend to be drunk when she came home, when she was perfectly sober? I don't know. And Cherry. She's been slashed twice and pushed downstairs by someone she's never seen. Why does she talk in that frightened whisper? Who does she mean when she says, they are after her? And what does she mean that Hope and her brother Job are in the worst danger? You can leave Cherry out of this. It's a lot of romantic nonsense. Twice slashed and thrown downstairs? You call that romantic nonsense? And the baby. There isn't any baby. I beg your pardon. I've heard it twice now. There isn't any baby, I tell you. Once it cried, and right after that, Cherry was hurled downstairs. Once it laughed and gurgled, and we found the chauffeur shot dead. It's ridiculous on the face of it. Babies don't laugh and cry on a given cue. How would a baby know that Cherry was about to fall downstairs? How would a baby know that my chauffeur was about to be murdered? Cherry says the baby cries when someone in the house is in danger. That it laughs when some enemy of the house is in danger. Cherry's a little fool. Protestations don't change facts. Facts indicate that something pretty vicious, something cold and calculating and terribly cruel has been unleashed in this house. You're trying to frighten me. No, I'm not. I'm reporting to you as my employer what I've found. And now let's discuss your grandson, Job, for a moment. Indeed we will not. Yes, we will. Because Job owns a gun with a silencer on it. And it was a gun with a silencer that killed the chauffeur. Joe wasn't even home. So he says. But the guns disappeared, and the chauffeur was killed with the same caliber gun as the one Job possessed. The police don't know? No. The police don't know this. But I do. And I also know that when Job came home and saw the body in the doorway, he was pretty casual about it. He, he wasn't feeling well. He was intoxicated, I grant you. But even so, he should have been a little surprised and concerned at finding a body lying across the threshold. Which he wasn't. I forbid you to talk like that. You can't do that. I can't forbid you to talk? No. But I can most certainly remove you from this house. But you won't. Why not? Because then I'll be forced to turn over all my information to the police. You wouldn't dare. Yes, I would. If we're kept on to solve the murder in our own way, we'll try to protect you in your grandchildren's names. If you make it impossible for us to work on the case, then we'll have to let the police do it. I don't trust you. Well, that depends on what you mean by trust. If no one in this house has committed murder, then we'll cover up for you till the cows come home. If... if it should have been someone here... Then we'll root him out and turn him over to justice. I know it. You can't be trusted. Now look here. Are you trying to tell me that you think someone in this house committed murder and you brought us here to help you cover up for them? No. No, of course not. It sounds very much like it. No, all I'm asking you is to be sure. No circumstantial evidence such as the police would use. I... I'm sure none of my grandchildren has done anything wrong, no matter how much it looks it. Oh, that's it. You want them protected from court action and publicity until we've cleared them or proved them guilty. Yes, if they are innocent, and I know they are, to face a charge of murder would ruin us. You have my word. No one will touch them until we know for sure. Thank you. Now then, I've got to talk to Hope and Job. Are they in their rooms? Yes, it was five o'clock this morning before the police left. They're all sleeping. Well, they should be awake by this time. I'm going up. Listen. It's a baby crying. Now maybe you'll believe. But there isn't any baby. Wait a minute. 
That's the warning. Someone's in danger. Quick, upstairs to the bedroom. Jack! Jack, did you hear that? The, the, the baby. I know it. Come on, Doc. Help me. Look in all the bedrooms. You bet. Whose room's this? That's Faye's room. Don't bother to knock. Hey, what's the idea? Can't a girl go to bed in this house? Nope, she's all right. What's the idea of raiding a girl's bedroom? The baby, someone's in danger. The baby? Don't leave me. Don't, don't leave me. Hey, wait for me. Uh, this is Joe's room. Doc, run up the third floor and look in Cherry's room. You bet you on the run. Yeah. Well, this is my old friend from the morgue. No, so you're up and dressed. You all right? It's never better in my life. Have a little drink. Aren't you ever sober? Didn't you hear that baby crying? Ah, I dreamed about a baby last night. Red hair. She was in a French bikini bathing suit. Oh, nuts. Is Job all right, is he? Drunk. Which is Hope's room? Uh, this way. This this way. It's either got to be Hope or Cherry. This room. Uh, what's that smell? Chloroform. Get those windows open. Look. Look, the pillow's over Hope's face. Get that window open. Do you hear me? Uh, yes, yes. Is she dead? Is she dead? No, she's alive. She looks so white. Get out of the way. I'm going to lift her out of bed and take her over to that window. What shall I do? Just get out of the way. There. What is it? What's the matter with Hope? Somebody tried to kill her with chloroform. Faith, haven't you an ounce of modesty? Go get something over that nightgown. But, Grandma, they tried to kill Hope. Get something on over that nightgown. Oh, horse feathers. Here, put this blanket around before I smack you. Apparently, my modesty is more important than Hope's life. Now then, Mr. Packard. Forget it. She's going to be all right. What's this nonsense about chloroform? And use your nose. Another 15 minutes, you'd have been minus one granddaughter. You put this blanket around Hope. What's the matter with you? Your granddaughter near death, and all you can think about is my seeing her in pajamas. I'll keep my granddaughter's modest if this house falls down around my ears. Greetings and salutations, Grandma, old girl. Joe, go back to your room. What? Mr. Fun? Joe, you're in no condition to be here. Go back to your room. <laughs> What's this? Love in our midst. The man from the morgue holding the family wench in his arms. Huh? Joe, you're impossible. <laughs> Hope is almost chloroformed. She's unconscious. Oh, no, not Hope. She's only playing dead. She likes it. Get that drunken fool out of here. <laughs> Please, Job, come with me. <laughs> Poor, pathetic old grandma. You have a lot of trouble with your family of rats, don't you? Job, be a good boy. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, man from the morgue. Great old house we live in, isn't it, Grandma? The Martin family at home. Doesn't your brother like Hope? He adores her. She's his favorite sister. Funny way of showing it. Nothing... Nothing gets under his skin when he's in that condition. It seems to be all the time. Look, how, how, how is she? Better than I hoped for. It'll take her a couple, three hours to sleep off the effects of the chloroform. Now we can put her back in bed now. Uh, one of her feet is there, so look the other way. <laughs> Your grandmother's a little touched on the subject of modesty, isn't she? I think she must bathe in long underwear. <laughs> yeah. There. I'll just cover her lightly. Uh, Jack! Jack, look, look what I got. Poor little feller. Uh, Jerry, what's the matter with her? She's unconscious. This is just like I found her. Now lay her down. Let me see her. <clears throat> look at her. Clothes doggone near tore off her. Oh, look, look at that bruise on her leg. Uh, here, she's bleeding on the back. Turn her over. Yeah, I know it. There. Oh, what happened? What happened? Hey, Jack, look. She's been slashed again. Yes, three times, right above the hip. Not deep. Like it'd been done with a safety razor blade. You Martin girls are certainly unpopular with somebody. Ain't it the truth? Murder sure is on the loose in this man's house.
Okay, those two chapters bring us to the end of the Good Old Days radio show for today. We will be back next Tuesday with an episode of Escape called Ancient Sorceries as we continue our special guest, Keith Scott from Australia. And then back next Thursday with the next two chapters of The Thing That Cried in the Night. So in the meantime, check out the Facebook page, Good Old Days of Radio Show, website, goodolddaysofradio.com. Any questions you may have, ask. I try to answer them whenever I see them or whenever they're pointed out to me. Uh, Anyway, okay, that's it. We will see you next time. (laughs) 